presence of the Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you. Glory be to God. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we continue tonight in our discipleship lesson. Amen. We are on lesson two point. Let me make sure before I say it. Lesson 2.4. We're still talking about right relationships. And we are taking our lessons from the Discipleship Project. And um, we're talking about right relationships. Lesson 2.4. Lesson 2.4. Amen. Because God desired to lead us to wholeness. We must submit ourselves to the process of becoming whole. We've been praying many Saturdays when we pray. We have prayed, God, help us to become mature Christians. I believe God is answering that prayer. And you are going to grow and you're going to become mature. We've been teaching on becoming mature, being whole, not just being in church. We want to be whole. Oh, man, son, what kind of surprise I got here today? My Lord, who are you surprising? Jesus, your mama, your daddy, who are you surprising? <laughs> Man, it's so good to see you, Brother Ethan. I'm excited. If I wasn't doing this, I would do a little shout real quick. You know, I was just telling your brother um, that he needs to come to um, Youth Congress. And I said, I'm going to talk to you and say, if you can come, because I'm going. I'm trying to get Nasir to go. Hopefully we'll get it. I think we'll have more guys than gals. Because if we can get all the young men to go, I'm going. We'll have a good little crew. We have some rooms reserved. We'll talk more about that. But I'm looking forward to that. It'll be good if you can go. July 26 through 28. Sister Maji, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. All right. Let's uh, look to Second Kings chapter 2. Second Kings chapter two, we're going to pick up in verse number two, second Kings chapter two, we'll pick up in verse number two. I'll take my time here and go through it. I think I've made up in my mind, um, starting out this new year that I'll rather give you small portions of teachings and take my time and reiterate than give you a lot of good teaching that you may not retain. So we'll see how that work. I'd rather just kind of take my time, reiterate, talk about it, talk about it, and then go from there as opposed to, you know, sometimes I think that I may give you a whole lot more than I need to, and then that causes you to have to think about a whole lot as opposed to just focus on something. And so what I want for you to focus on tonight is this. Who is following you? Focus on that tonight. Who is following you? And everything we talk about tonight will deal with that particular subject of who is following you. Okay? Somebody should be following you. Somebody's following you, whether you paid attention or not. But it's good when somebody's following you intentionally. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 2 says, 
And it came to pass when the Lord would, would, word would, there's key, when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. This means it has not happened yet. So it means it would happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord had sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord had sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. I'm not sure if you have picked up what's going on here. But what's going on here is the prophet Elijah is going about his business doing the work of the Lord. And the to-be prophet Elisha was following him. But as he followed him, the prophet Elijah would go and Elisha would come. And each time he would get to a certain place, he would say, you need to just turn back around and go. You need to just turn back around and go. And every time he tells Elisha to turn back around and go, Elisha said, uh-uh, I'm not turning back around. I'm going with you. That's what we are. Verse number five. And the sons of the prophet that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Now knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from the, from the head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, hear. For the Lord had sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Seven. And fifty men of the sons of the prophet went and stood in the view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what shall do for thee before I am taken away from thee. And Elijah said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. So finally, the prophet Elijah turned around and says, All right, you follow me around. Tell me what you need from me before I leave here so I can see if I can do anything for you. Because you're following me. It's clear you're coming wherever I'm going. So tell me what you want me to do before I'm taken away from here. That's what he's asking him. And verse 10. And he said, thou has asked a hard thing. Because what, Eli- what Elisha asked him was, I want a double portion of your spirit. What he's saying is, the anointing that's on your life, the way how you are, how you have done great things for God, the great thing that you have done, I want double what you have so I can do what the great things you did for God. 
That's what he's saying. I want double that. Whatever you have, I want double that. I understand where he's coming from. He wants double that. That's what he told the prophet. And it came to pass, verse 11, it came to pass as they still went on and taught that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. (laughs) And Elijah saw it and cried. My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters And said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Last verse, and when the sons of the prophet which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah thus rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. So you had this guy who was a nobody following behind the Lord's prophet. And the Lord's prophet kept telling him, stop following me. Let's be plain. Stop following me. Why why keep following me? And the no-name guy, which we know today as Elisha says, I'm going to follow you. I'm following you. And so he kept following. And he followed and he followed. And finally, he says, here's what he says. What do you want? He says, I want a double anointing, a double portion. I want to be great like you. I want to be great like you. It's all right to have godly. uh, What's the word I would say? Um, Admiration for someone godly aspiration that you see in someone it's all right that there's nothing wrong with that okay and that's what he saw in elijah and he wanted it he says but i want a double portion now that could mean a whole lot but i know when i think about having a double portion of great men that was before me i'm just saying the times are harder and more challenging i need more than what they have to do what i need to do so that's how my mindset is. I'm not sure what Elisha's mind was when he says, I want a double portion. And, and Elijah says, okay, here's the deal. If you see me when I'm taken out of this, this earth by the whirlwind of the Lord, if you see me, you will have the mantle and you will be able to carry on the work of the Lord as I did. It's a high price and a, and a high cost. You remember I told you all the story um, over the years that I've, uh, that I've experienced, which is so many people have come to me and says, I want you to mentor me. And I didn't even do the Elijah stuff. I didn't tell them, don't, no, 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 no. I didn't even do that. I did not discourage them. I just says, okay. But they end up not coming. The old time preachers, that's the way they brought up other preachers. I'm not saying it was right, but I'm just saying, I guess this is what they read while they was doing it. Old time preachers, when a young man came to them and say, I want to be a preacher like you, they say, okay, the sanctuary needs vacuuming. And they left it alone. 
They want to see how badly you want to be a preacher. They, go, 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 the sanctuary needs vacuuming. Then you come back. I vacuum it. Okay, we need to mow the lawn. And they went on and on and on. Never said anything to you about preaching. Because they read this. Now you see why they did it. It's always a method to the madness, Sister Meisner. They read this. They read this guy following the prophet. And, and, and the prophet saying, just go back. Just, just go back. Stop following me. And he kept saying, nope, wherever you go, I'm going. Because here's what God is after. God is after how badly do you want this? We think God is being unreasonable when he is trying to confront us to say how badly do we want it. Here is why he's saying that. The responsibility of being a man of God or a woman of God is the greatest responsibility you will ever have in your life in this earth. There is no greater responsibility. Even if you become a surgeon today, a heart surgeon, even if you become the greatest doctor today, you're only saving people physically. Which means if they're not saved spiritually, they are going to be lost for all eternity. So there is no greater responsibility in all of this earth than being a Christian man or a Christian woman because all of us are required to do the will of God. We just don't get saved and that's it. We're supposed to do the will of God. It's the greatest responsibility in the world. So why would we, listen, how long does, oh I'm not even on my lesson. Help me, Jesus. How long does it take to go to medical school to become a doctor and internship? Anybody can give me that real quick? Eight to 12 years. To go to college, go to medical school, do your internship, and then somebody, and then you start your practice where somebody actually come. Eight to 12 years. And that's just to save people physically. What should we what, what kind of push, what kind of motivation, what kind of drive, what kind of intensity should we have to say, I'm going to follow Jesus? Oh, man. All the people in our world that have great responsibility, it took them a long time to get to that place. And us having the responsibility to carry the gospel, to be the vessels and instruments of God in this world, to be a light where this world is dark. Everything that we have to do, how much should we be equipped and be, 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 be challenged to be sure we can do it? I believe we should take real great pride in that. Nothing is known of Elijah's background. He had no leader or mentor on his own. At least none is mentioned in scripture. Elijah's first servant. Elijah had a servant before Elisha. Elijah's first servant was just a brief notation in scripture. At some point, I don't know if you remember, it hadn't rained in Israel a long time. And Elijah got the word from the Lord that says it's going to rain. And so Elijah told his servant, go check and see if there's any cloud in the sky so we know it's going to rain. That servant went and checked, came back and said, nothing, nothing, no cloud. He said, all right, I'm going to pray some more. He prayed again and says, go back and check. That servant went and checked and says, oh, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. It is going to rain. And we know the story that abundance of rain came. That servant never lasts long. As a matter of fact, it is written in scripture that when Jezebel threatened to try to kill Elijah, 
that Elijah left that area and went to a different area and that servant was never heard from anymore. Are we going to let danger chase us off from following Jesus Christ? Are we only going to follow him if it's easy? Are we only going to follow him when it's convenient or are we going to follow him in spite of the danger, in spite of all the challenges? Hey, we've been saying this for a little bit. The Bible says we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. Brother D, there's only one way to know God's power. One way. There's no other way to know God. There's no need to show power if there's no need to show power. So... If you never get in trouble for God to get you out of trouble, how will you ever know God's power? We want to see God's power, but we want everything to be perfect. How will you ever see God's power? If your life is perfect, if everything is great, if nobody's in trouble, if our world is fine and everything is great, how will we see God's power? There's no way to see it. So in order to see God's power, some things are going to get a little topsy-turvy. You're going to begin to experience some turbulence in your life. You're going to experience some stuff to say, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. And that's when the Lord just slide over and say, but I do. He's going to have, he needs opportunity to show you what he can do. And what we do, as soon as the opportunity comes for him to show us, we run away and say, nah, that's okay. That's what that no-name servant did. Jezebel is going to kill Elijah. Let me get out of the way so when she kill him, I won't get killed. Well, you missed the opportunity for God to show you he can protect the servant. And that's the same thing with us today. How are we going to allow God? How can we brag? You know, you know listen, I don't know about you. I'm not about... Mr. Thomas, I'm not trying to brag on the little things. I want to put on Facebook something miraculously crazy. So I'm waiting. You don't see me putting stuff on. I'm waiting for that day to put something crazy on Facebook. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for one day I can put on Facebook that we were just having church and somebody walked off the street drunk, staggering, and God just touched their life. And all of a sudden it's like they weren't drunk anymore and they lift their hands and started worshiping God and received the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues, and then asked to be baptized and became a great Christian and started preaching the gospel, teaching Sunday school, whatever. I want to tell that kind of testimony. And the only way that's going to happen, somebody drunk, somebody crazy is going to have to walk in the door. It's the only way we're going to be able to tell it. I never forgot this, the scripture in, um, in John chapter 9, when it talked about the blind man. When you get a chance, you can read it. But man blind from his birth, and back in the day, when you were sick, uh, they used to think that somebody, you or somebody in your family sinned, did wrong. And so when you were in pain and you're sick, oh, somebody must have sinned. And so for the longest they're saying, who sinned while that man came out the womb blind? Finally, Jesus came on the scene, healed the man, and everybody wants to know, how in the world did he get healed? And the man said, listen, I can't explain it to you. I was once blind, but now I see. Jesus touched me, and now I'm healed. And at the end of the story, you'll read that the reason why the man was blind, born blind, It says, for the glory of God. Now, who wants to be born blind and get up to the age of 40-something before you can see? Because he was 40-something. 
That's the only way we would have known God's power, though. How else would we know God can heal the blinded eyes, open the blind? How else would we know? We wouldn't know if that guy wasn't blind or whoever got blind. It's tough, but that's the way it is. And God wants to show us great things, but we're going to have to trust him. So when the problems start, we can't just run. We're going to have to say, all right, I can see there's a problem here, but how do I deal with this? Elisha didn't run every time the man of God said, eh, you need to just leave me alone. Go about your business. No, that's not what he did. He kept on going. He kept on going. He kept on going. If we want to raise up a generation of future leaders, we must involve them in ministries and miracles. This is why I'm so adamant about the young people in our church getting their own thing going and doing their own thing with our guidance because we're not going to live forever. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, so I'm not even going to touch that subject. But just for the time that we're here, we have to do our very best to raise up our young people, to equip them and raise them up to do great things for God. The worst thing is, and I'm seeing it at my age right now, here's what I'm seeing the most, is when we don't teach our young people, get them involved and get them equipped, we start getting old and whatever we did while we were young, it dies with us. Yes. You can be sharp because nobody stays young all their life. So I can be sharp and I can start my own business and whatever I want to do, I can do it. And while I have strength and energy and time, it will be flourishing and everything is great. What happens when I start getting old and I train nobody? It, it goes down with me. Yes. And God is not interested in that. And anybody that's supposed to be leading in God's kingdom that don't do that, train up Leaders, young people, God's got a problem with it. And he will intervene at some point in time and says, oh, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. God won't do it. That servant that cut away after a while decided, man, I can't follow God for all that stuff. We, can I say this? You're going to have to make up in your mind if there's a price that is too high. For you to pay to follow Jesus. You're going to have to make up your mind. Whether we say it out loud or we live it out. There's many Christians that the way we live our life, what we're saying in essence, in some instance, I just, I can't do that. And what you're really saying is, I can't pay that price to live for God. We're going to have to Look at ourselves about that. What is the price? What is God asking you to do when you're going to say, I don't think I can do that. Because it takes you out of your comfort zone. Because it stretches you. Because it's not something easy. Oh, you just walk away. That servant, that no-name servant did that. But Elisha didn't do that. Elisha said, oh, you can't chase me away. Because Elisha was looking at what I have come to understand on my own, which is me following the man of God has nothing to do with the man of God. When are we going to get that part? 
He knew, Sister Maja, his whole deal was, God called me to the ministry to do something great. And this is the man that God will use to help me to accomplish God's will for my life. So this man can't really stop what God wants to do because God is really working all of this together. So when he called Elisha, Elisha knew the responsibility was just to follow Elijah and do what he's told. And it doesn't matter what Elijah said. Elijah could have treated him like crap. It didn't matter because God chose Elijah to help Elisha become the prophet of Israel. We could make it. Oh, you're not going to disrespect me like that. I go tell Tom, can you imagine, man? I'm trying to walk with the pastor. I'm trying to hang with the pastor. And he told me, you can't follow me. Man, he better be lucky I came to church. I'm the only one that comes early in vacuum. I'm the only one that comes early and set up. And I'm trying to follow him. And he's trying to tell me, get away from him. Man, that pastor crazy. I'm not going back to that church. <laughs> That's our mindset. I'm just saying. Oh, yes. That's our mindset, not following that dude, because he's crazy, he's mean. Well, we've got Elisha here. Elijah told him to go back three or four times. He's like, nope, 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 Because this, if he could have really, you, you know, back then we don't disrespect elder, but if he could have said what it was on his mind, you know what he said? You didn't call me. God called me, Prophet. So while you're the prophet right now, that's cool and everything. But when you leave here, I'm going to be the prophet. And God said it so you can act a fool all you want. I'm following you anyway. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> I'm serious. That's the attitude you have to get when God puts something in you. Nobody stops that. And you can't let any discouragement stop you from doing what you got to do. Put up with what you got to put up with. When you know God has put something in you, put up with it. Put up with it. Because think about it, when he became the prophet of Israel, you know how much mess he had to put up with? If you're a part of this church, here is the three level of ministry that you will partake in at some point in time. Because this is what God called this ministry to be about. Evangelism, which is reaching out to people and telling them about the gospel. Discipleship, which is to get people to understand why you do what you do, how you live for God. And leadership is the third one, which means you're going to lead people in some capacity, which means you better start learning how to deal with people right now. If not, you're probably not going to enjoy this church. Because those are the three areas you're going to be in. You're going to be in. The, if you stay in this church, you will be in those three areas. So if that makes you uncomfortable, then you're going to struggle in Christ Center Church. But you're going to be in those levels of areas uh, at some point in time. It just, it, that's what God called his church to do. So we're going to constantly reach out to people and minister the gospel. We're going to be, here's, here's what discipleship means. You're going to know why you do the things that you have. This Saturday when I talk about leadership, what I'm going to be teaching you about is what the Bible says about some of the things that we're supposed to do. So you won't leave the church saying, uh, and, I, and I don't mean leave the church, I mean when you leave each service. You won't leave saying, well, the pastor said we need to do this. You won't leave the church saying, well, the organization is pushing this. 
Discipleship means I'm going to help you to understand why you do the things that you do. So you won't have to blame it or put it on anybody. You will know why you're doing the things that you do. Why? Because the Bible taught you that. It's going to be because of your own understanding, not because everybody is doing it. That's what I'm getting ready to teach you. That's what this, that's what discipleship is all about. See, if you're living for God, but people can make you guess what you're doing, if people can challenge you and you're not sure why you're doing what you're doing, it means you're not discipled. Yeah. And it's okay not to be disciples because at some point in time, you're in the process, you're not there. But just ask the question. So you can get discipled. And that's what we're going to be about. Evangelism, discipleship, and leadership. That's it, Cheryl. That's what this church is going to be about. Some churches are about, you know, some other things. And that's what God wants them to be about. But that's what this church is going to be about. We're going to spread the good news of the gospel. And we're going to take our time and help people become disciples of Christ. And when they become that, then God is going to promote them into different areas of leadership where they will flourish. That's what we're going to do. And we'll do that till we die or until Jesus come. That's what this church is going to be about. Yes. All right. God commanded Elijah to choose a successor. All of us are supposed to make sure whatever we're doing for God you can you can pinpoint someone that can be a successor of what you're doing. If you're doing something for any amount of time, and I'm not talking about right now, everybody's on a different level. But if you've been doing something for any period of time and you can't look and say, where is the person that will help me, uh, that will carry this on when I'm no longer able to? If you don't do that, then you're not in the will of God. Go through scriptures. Jesus left 12 successors. You want to keep going? Jesus left 12 successors. The apostle Paul left Timothy. I mean, we can go on and on. John Mark, they left them. So, men of God, Elijah left Elijah. Moses, he left um, Joshua. We, we have to have people that's coming behind us that can continue God's work. So, that's why it's very, very important that we make sure we're, we're constantly doing God's will. God will bring the people. You just have to do, do the will of God. And God will put people in your life that will follow you so you know, you know what, I can pass this on to this person. The first time we see Elisha, he was working, plowing in a field. Mm-hmm. Elisha was working in the waiting, even before he knew God had chosen him. When God looks around to find someone he can use, he's looking for someone who's already doing something. If you wake up one morning and you've just been lazy, you never did anything, you just wake up and says, well, God has called me to go start a church. You're lying. You're misheard. You're misguided. Because God don't operate like that. I've learned this. And then I look back and says, okay, Lord, I got it. I've learned this. By the time you can identify what you think God has chosen you to do, you was already doing it. Tiptoe back around here. So it's not like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. Look what I'm doing. No, no. God likes to train you. 
God likes to disciple you, develop you. That's what he likes to do. And so by the time you realize that you have some title on your name, God already had you doing that. David was already positioned to be king because God used sheep. And he did that job so well that God said the only difference now is going to be people. Mm -hmm. So you won't be surprised when you realize what you're doing when somebody put a title on it. Nobody, Nobody ever impressed me with giving me a title. Because in all my experiences in my life, I realized by the time man says, you're this, I said, I was doing that already. I don't tell nobody that. I'm telling you now. I was doing that already. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, which meant quite possibly that his family was wealthy. Yes, they were wealthy. To have 12 yoke of oxen would mean they had extreme large amount of land under cultivation and are and were likely one of the leading citizens in the area. Elisha had to decide if he would leave behind his family, his property, and his position to follow the unspoken call. You know how Elijah got Elijah to start following him? <laughs> Man, we couldn't last in those days. Elijah was walking past Elisha, and Elijah put his mantle on Elisha's shoulder and then removed it and kept on walking. So all he did was this. And just in case, we, this, this is the mantle. <laughs> That's all he did. And now dude got to leave daddy's house, all the money, the plowing, the position, and all the recognition he get from being a part of that wealthy family and go follow some dude that goes around and do God's miracle just by... Man, we'll smack that. Get that stuff off me, man. What's wrong with you? So we'll do. Get that thing off me. I'm trying to put that stuff on me. Unless you're doing a miracle, don't put that on me. But that's not what Elisha did. Elisha made motion. Say, I got to go. I got to go. And he left behind everything. Peter once asked Jesus what those who left to go with him would receive. And Jesus told him, everyone that had forsaken houses or brothers and sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus also said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, I like that. Jesus said, he that loveth father and mother, keyword more. You know, we want to say, he don't want us to love our mother. We always misinterpret it. He don't want us to love our mother and father. What kind of Christian? No, he says, if you love them more. So he's saying, love them. Love your mother and father. Love your family. Love your children. But you can't love them more than me. That's all he's saying. And guess what? My mom can't keep me from sickness. My dad can't keep me from sickness. They can't keep me from hell. 
They can't keep me from all the struggles that I can entangle in this world. They can't, they, they can't do any of that for me. But Jesus can. So you know what? That's sensible that I love him more than them. That's sensible. It's sensible. I love them, but I just love him more. That's hard for some people to swallow. Elijah's training of Elijah began immediately. Elisha had to run after him, seek, had to run after him and, and, and follow him. Elijah did not give Elisha any details. He, he, he did not even promise Elisha that he would be a prophet. It takes faith in the unseen to be effective in God. Because Elisha was following the man of God because he knew it was the will of God. In order to be effective in ministry, we will have to be willing to sacrifice, break free from the past, and be passionate about ministering to others' needs. Here, I will, I will, this is, I I sometimes need to keep my mouth shut, and I know that, because, because sometimes, I I find these days that people are going to think I'm weird, Scarlett. Because I'm getting to a place now. I said this to my sister-in-law last night. I'm just talking to her. Because, you know, when God is dealing with me, whoever's around, they just get it. So I'm talking to my sister-in-law. And I was saying to her, if you have a lot of money and you can do whatever you want in life, when when does that become boring? And she was saying, well, you know, if you went to the Grand Canyon... Now you can go to the Eiffel Tower. If you go to the Eiffel Tower, now you can go to the Great Wall of China. I said, I understand all that. The question still is, there's something that gets your adrenaline going and gets you excited. When does it become the same? She said, well, I said, uh, this is God just helping me. When does it become the same? When does taking a great vacation become the same? When does going to the nicest restaurant become the same? When does having whatever becomes the same? When? And we keep chasing, thinking that it's going to be different. But I'm telling you, it, after a while, it's the same. I said to my sister-in-law last night, the only thing that matters now, this is because I was speaking from my heart with me, is what I can do to make somebody's life better. That's really the only thing that makes sense to me right now. Because I just think we live in a place and time where we almost can do whatsoever we desire. So when does that become old? When does that become boring? Why are we still striving for that? Is it that is is it that serious? Is it that important to have the same experience over and over and over and over again when it don't amount to anything? That's just how I feel. And so what I know now for me, all I want to do, Cheryl, is invest my time and my effort into you, into you. And, and I'm not saying it because I'm the pastor. I just feel like this is how God is dealing with me. Like there's nothing else that's worth anything but what I can invest in you all. That's all that I, that's all that anything is worth anymore. That's really how I feel. If I'm not doing that, God, you might as well take me out of this earth because I feel like everything else we do at some point in time, it becomes just ritualistic. It's just okay. I'm trying to think. If you think of something while I'm preaching up here or teaching tonight of something you can do that's just going to make you so elated that, man, you're going to want more and more of that, let me know. 
Because I'm looking at it and I'm examining it. I'm saying, what would it be? What can this world and things offer me? I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to do that over and over and over. No, the only thing I want to do over and over and over is what I can do to help somebody become better and better and grow deeper and deeper in their relationship with God. That's what I desire strongly. Because that's the only thing that will, that's the only thing that's worth anything. It's the only thing that's worth anything. Everything else that you think is valuable, it's not. Because at some point in time, it loses its value. Listen, you want to hear something that's unfortunate? Do you think there is a little bit of thoughts in the back of our mind that maybe the seat of the president of the United States is not that important like it used to be? Have it crept in a couple people's mind? I think it has. I, I, I think the reverence that we used to have for that position is not the same. Oh, I don't think so. Because after a while, everything deteriorates. Everything is like, well, I'm trying to get you to understand how to get smart about how you live your life for God. Because after a while, everything, eh, how can the president of the free world, that position becomes, well, it's still a little powerful, but it's just not the same. It has become like that. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in our country that feels like, because since the, 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 the incoming president didn't win the popular vote, so I'm sure now a lot of people feel that way, like, man, he in the seat. Now, whether you like him or not, you vote for him or not, I'm sure that there are some people. And I'm sure there's some people that did not like that Barack Obama was in the seat. So I'm just telling you, this is fact. So people have looked at the seat and say, Go back to Reagan. That was a, you felt like, man, the president of the United States. You know, you go back to the old, old time days. People felt like, yeah, that's our man. That's the, we stand behind the president. I don't think it's like that right now. And I use that specifically to let you know that things are deteriorating. And if we start to cling to anything so strongly that it interferes with our relationship with God and following God, we're making a big mistake. Big mistake. Big mistake. All right. In the end, Elijah desi- desired a double portion of Elijah's anointing. That bittersweet day came when Elijah would be taken away. Elijah sensed it, although Elijah said nothing about it. And within the young servant's heart rose a determination that he would not leave the prophet's side that day. Whatever the cost, Elisha would be with Elijah when he was taken away. Here is something to think about. We've sung songs that um, that he didn't he, he didn't bring me this far just to leave me. He didn't. But are you going to get that far in your life and back up? Because you know what's funny? I talked about this when I, um, in in one of my sermons that I preached earlier this year is that. When you get to a certain place in God and you get frustrated where you just want to give up and you walk away from God for a little bit. When you realize that you made a mistake and you come back to God, you don't pick up where you left off from. (laughs) I hope you understand that. 
You, you don't pick up, Brother D. You don't go back and say, okay, well, I left off right there, so when I go back. No, you go from the starting line. And that can be frustrating even more because in your mind, you know what it's like to be further past the starting line, but now you're at the starting line. You're like, this makes no sense. I was once over there. Why am I at the starting line? And so that can make you just say, man, forget it. And that's the struggle that you deal with when you decide that, you know what? I know I got this far, but I'm just... You got to come back this way once you realize it and it's just not easy and you find yourself struggling more than you need to because you're you're frustrated because let me give you let me give you a, a worldly example of that. I've been around these kind of people, so I know. You're a drug dealer. And you making 10,000 a day, making a killing. And you get caught. and You go to jail. And you did a good amount of time and you come out and you on probation and everybody watching you and you got to go get a job that will accept you with your background and you're only making eight fifty or $10 an hour. How much are you making per week now? 10 times, um, um, what is it? 80 or, or 40. That's $400. When they take out taxes, you're probably down about 340 Now you're making $340 a week when you used to make 10000 a day. How do you deal with that? Now, y'all might, might never have been drug dealers, but I'm, it's the same thing like backsliding. You will live a better life eventually as that drug dealer if you stick with that $10 an hour and just keep working at it and keep working at it. Sooner or later, you'll get a promotion on your job and you keep going. And sooner or later, you, things will work out for you and you might not ever make $10,000 a, a, a day. But guess what? You're going you're gonna to alter your life so you can get good things out of the $10 you make in an hour and you will go further because you got a peace of mind and your heart is different. Your mind, things will work out for you differently with that $10 an hour than it was the $10,000 a day. And sometimes we in God and we feel like I'm not getting that 10 I'm not getting enough. And so we leave God. And then when you leave God, you realize <laughs> that $10 an hour wasn't that bad. Because what I got to deal with out here, I might as well have just kept that $10 an hour. That's what the prodigal son said. He gave up all that money. He, he said, give me my money so I can go my own business and do what I want. And when he had a good time and everything like that, and he got broke, he started eating with the pigs. And he said, I don't even have to go back to my father's house to be a son. I don't have to be a son because I did so wrong that I, I embarrassed him. I embarrassed myself. I'm such a mess that I'm not even going to go back home and try to be the son that I used to be. I just want to be one of the servants. You know why? Because the servants are doing better than what I'm doing right now. You see how we do? We we despise that good that God has given us because we allow something else to get our attention and and it's not until you go and indulge in that something that you realize how good that was. But I'm trying to help our young people to say, don't go find out. Can you take my word, please? 
Can you take my word that is much better no matter how bad it seems in God, how slow it's moving, how much you struggle, how much you got to be different. I don't care how much that goes on. It's still better. Because you're going to go out there and you're going to have a short-lived good time and start peeking over. And things still going good over there. And you're going to be like, you know what? I might as well go back to church. But you're going to frustrate yourself because you got to start over. You got to go back to the starting line. I'm supposed to talk about who's following you. Huh, I'm mixing all this stuff in. In spite of Elijah's order to stay behind, Elisha flatly refused to stop at Gilgal. This was the first camping place of Joshua, just inside the promised land. Joshua was camped just on the cusp of conquest, just on the verge of victory. But Joshua did not content himself with staying there. Neither did Elisha and neither should we. Remember, before Joshua and the men took over the promised land, they was right on the outside. And remember, ten spies went in to say, we can't have it. Two says, yes, we can. They eventually went in and take the land. But what that come down to, when you get really close to what God wants to do, there will begin to become, you will begin to experience some, some questioning in your mind. And you don't even realize how close you are to obtaining what God has for you. And you will sit there right on the cusp. You don't know this because the spiritual realm now you're dealing with. And so spiritually, you're right about to get in where God wants you. And you're stopping and says, I don't know. Please don't stop, dear. Please don't stop. You have no idea how close you are to what God wants to do. Whatever it is that God had called you to the kingdom for, you're closer to it than you can realize. And if you just stop and says, I can't do it anymore, you're going to give up on something that God got you right on the cusp of accomplishing. Do not stop just inside your promised land. When God has promised that everywhere your feet tread, he will give to you. Believe it. And until you walk into what God promised you, never stop. When God promised you something, never stop. If God promised you something, never stop. And even when you get it, you got to get greedy and say, I want more. Don't you stop what God promised. God, listen. Everybody that God calls to the kingdom, he makes them a promise. Everybody that he called to the kingdom, he made them a promise. All of us has been promised eternal life. Did, did, did anybody in here get eternal life yet? So how can we stop? We can't. Everybody that he called to the kingdom, he promised eternal life. And I don't have eternal life right now. I'm hoping to have it. I'm striving to have it. But I don't have it right now. I can't stop. You can't stop. Again, Elijah refused to stop at Bethel, the house of God, where Jacob saw angels ascending and descending. There were sons of the prophets there and, and spiritual community that Elisha could have settled in. He could have gotten comfortable there, reliving the spiritual experiences of his past. But 
Past spiritual experiences are not enough and God has not called us to comfort. Can I say that again? Our past spiritual occurrences is not enough. We have to keep on experiencing more. And God didn't call us to comfort. You know what I sat around? I, I do these little stupid things by myself and run through things in my mind. And this is what I thought about, Cheryl. I said, most of us were raised from zero to about 13, being well taken care of, most of us. And we're provided for, we're taken care of. Then as we got, get to 15, 16, whatever, we start trying to do things for ourselves. We might try to get a little paper route. I don't know if they still do that anymore. <laughs> Probably not because paper is going out. But, but you know, you, you try to get a little hustle on your own so you can put some money in your pocket. Now you're starting to try to be a little bit independent. Then when you hit about 65, nobody really cares about you old. And all you can do is just hang and chill and get in your rocking chair and give good advice and nobody wants to talk to you. So I broke it down like this, Sister Cheryl, that I only have 50 years on this earth to be able to do things on my own. I don't know why I think about these things when I'm sitting around, right? So it's about 50 years that I had that I can do anything. Now you tell me, I asked myself this. I said, tell me, Wayne, how does 50 years compete with eternity? I challenged myself. I said, I'm going to enjoy this life for 50 years, Brother D. 50 years. That's it. You can fool yourself all you want. When you get to 65, all you can really do, encourage your grandchildren. Encourage your children. Give them life experience that they can live up to. But you can't do a whole lot more than that. And when you're 1 through 13, you can't do nothing but have your mama and daddy take care of you. So when you hit 16 and you get up to 50, it's probably when you're doing your thing. 55, whatever. How will I compare that with eternity? I'm, listen, man. So here's what I'm saying. If I'm miserable for 50 years when I get to heaven, is it worth it? That's really where I'm going in case you missed the point. So if I'm miserable, because I'm not going to be miserable the first 13. Got good parents. I'm not going to be miserable because, you know, I took care of my children and my grandchildren, so they're going to love me no matter what. So I'm, I'm okay with that when I sit down and I like, look at them. They grew up so nice and all that good stuff. So I'm good from 65 and up. I'm good when I'm young. But all those years I'm working, taking care of myself and striving to do right, that's hard. So just say I'm miserable for 50 years. Is it worth it? I'll let you answer that. Because I answered it and said, yeah, bring it on. If I'm miserable for 50 years, and, and, and let's be honest, none of us was miserable for 50 years. Let's be honest. But I'm just saying, I went to the extreme. If we're miserable for 50 years, then what? And the answer is, we're not going to be miserable for 50 years. So whatever the amount of time is that we're going to be miserable, just tough it out. It doesn't compare to the eternal life that you're going to get in Christ. It's not going to compare to heaven. The final test came at Jericho. It was beautiful, always the city, the city of palm trees in Jericho. Two, there were sons of the prophet that he could have joined. And Jericho was the scene of the great victory. Remember, around the wall of Jericho, around the wall of Jericho, and then they shout and the wall came tumbling down. Well, that's where he was. He could have settled in, reliving the dramatic history of the tumbling walls. But Elisha wanted more than a memory of Past victory. He wanted present power. You want present power, not past victories. Present power, not past victory. 
Don't stop in your comfort zone, whether physical or spiritual. Follow your leader. Fifty sons of the prophet who lived at Jericho were content at their pivotal moment to stand and watch for from afar off. Elijah followed Elijah. Listen, if Elisha, let me finish up here. I'm finishing up here. If Elisha did not follow Elijah, he would have ended up like all the prophets in the school. They had a school of prophets. He would have ended up with them. But because he didn't sit in his comfort zone in his school chilling, he followed the prophet everywhere he went. It turned out he became the leader of the prophets where he was the one that was over them. I don't think he did it for that. But what I'm saying is if you're going to be great in God, sitting around comfortably will not do the trick if you're ever going to do something special for God. That's what Elisha did. He followed the man of God around. He said, I'm not getting comfortable. I want to follow the man of God. And he did. And God used him to do something great and miraculous. Elisha passed all his tests to receive the mantle. Elijah jerked his mantle free. The mantle had been cast by Elisha. The, the mantle he had cast over Elisha's shoulder once before as he plowed, Elijah dropped it to him. And then watch as the fluttering cloth got smaller and smaller below him as he was drawn to the light above. Israel is in good hands. Elijah thought that leadership will continue. Elijah meant fell and Elisha took it. And with it, he donned the assurance that he had double portion of Elijah's anointing. In fact, scripture records Elisha performed twice. As many miracles, God will never not keep his word. God, Elijah, Elisha said to, 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 the, to God and to the prophet, I want double your anointing. That went like, okay. And when you read all the prophets, uh, all the works of the prophet that Elisha did, he did twice as much. God showed himself right at the end. He did twice as much miracles as Elijah did. God is so faithful. He asked for double anointing. God gave him double the work. He completed it. If we're going to follow. Because God is in it. Oh my God. The sky is the limit. What God will do. Any questions? Who is following you? Who is following you? We have to live a life that is so reputable that people want to follow us. We, 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 if we're going to get people to follow us, people have to see Christ in us. They will not follow because we look good. They will not follow because we talk a good game. They will not follow if we up and down. They will follow if we prove through and through consistent in God, they will follow. I will go over the answers really quick and uh, we'll pray and close out. Um, let's go to, um, we're in A area. Um, we're in the, um, A and we jump down um, the first answer for this lesson. This servant decided the price of following the prophet was more than he was willing to pay. So that was the no-name servant. The price 
of following the prophet uh, was more than he was willing to pay. B, Elisha was working in the waiting even before he knew God had chosen him. Elisha was working in the waiting. And jump down. It takes faith in the unseen to be effective for God. It takes faith in the unseen to be effective for God. In order to be effective in ministry, we will have to be willing to sacrifice, break free from the past, and be passionate about ministering ministering to others' need. Jump down. I think this is the last one. Elisha wanted more than a memory of past victory. He wanted present day power. Present day power. I began our Bible study by telling you, I believe strongly, strongly that God has given us this window of grace, this window of opportunity, this window of ableness to be able to move to the next dimension in our spiritual position with him. And you will find it a lot easier To do the things of God if you decide to do it. If you decide to do it. God is going to make it easier for you to pray, to fast, to read your Bible, to be a witness. He's going to make it a lot easier for you in this particular time. Because his hand is upon you. He is keeping away all the challenges and keeping away all the adversaries that is called the devil that's coming against you. He's keeping those things away so things are not difficult for you right now. You got to take advantage of it. Because if you take advantage of it, it's going to strengthen you, empower you, so the things that you're struggling with and challenged with, you will be able to overcome them. And by the time you do this long enough, you're going to be so strong that given 30 days of doing this, you will be able to look back and say, "Woo! I've come a long way. God has brought me a long way. It's your time to be great. It's your time to be great, and God is in it. If you will trust him and do it, he is in it. He will do it, and I believe that you will be happy when you look back two, three months from now of where God has brought you from. Any questions? Does anyone have any questions concerning anything? I will talk more. We've been talking about it. Remember I told you, um, if you want to know about what you can eat during the Daniel fast, Go to the church website, ChristCenteredOnline.com, ChristCenteredOnline.com. Click on the icon or the tab that says About. And when you click on About, you will see the drop down that says some other stuff. But at the bottom of it, it will say Member. When you click on Member, it will ask you for a password. The password is lowercase c lowercase c, 2016. You will see the document